things were not working out as they planned. Mary and Joseph were engaged. Joseph was a carpenter in a little town called Nazareth. He had a little house. He expected for them to be able to get married and to settle down and to raise a family there in Nazareth. But then one day the angel of the Lord came to Mary and said, You have found favor with the Lord, and you are going to conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. When Mary went and told Joseph that she was pregnant, it didn't go over so well. No, there was a great struggle. Joseph was so hurt, the Bible tells us very clearly, he made the decision to divorce her. It wasn't until an angel came to Joseph and said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Mary and Joseph were able to talk and to work it out. There were difficult things to overcome, but they decided to stay together. In the end, Mary went to go be with her cousin, Elizabeth. She was pregnant. She was in her old age. No one expected that. She and Zechariah did not expect to have a child, though it's what they wanted more than anything. Mary went to go be with Elizabeth for the next three months until her child, John, was born. She then came back. She was getting along in her pregnancy, and they found they had to make a journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of a census. And Joseph was the house and the lineage of David, and Bethlehem is known as the house of David. And so they had to make this journey, about a six or seven day journey on a donkey. You're nine months pregnant, riding a donkey for seven days to get to Bethlehem. No, that's not the way they would have scripted it. They got to Bethlehem and it was overrun with people because of the census. So much so that that they couldn't find a place to stay. Finally, there was an innkeeper who looked on them with compassion, who saw them as people and understood their need, and he offered them the barn behind the inn. It was there in this barn, surrounded by the cattle and the sheep, that that night Mary gave birth to a little boy. She wrapped him in cloth and she laid him in a manger. Now a manger isn't a crib, A manger is what you feed the cattle out of. They had fresh hay. She laid her baby in this manger. This is not the way that she had planned this. She wanted to be home. Home with her mother, her father, with family, with friends, in her own house. Not to be in some cattle stall in Bethlehem with just Joseph. Before the night was over, shepherds showed up. Shepherds who had been out in the field watching over their flocks. They talked about hearing angels in the sky proclaiming good news of a great joy that would come to all the people. They went to Bethlehem to go see this thing that they had been told. And when they got to Bethlehem, they found Mary and Joseph and this baby lying in a manger. And then before the night was over, you had these strangers show up people who seemed to be the wise men, kings, the eastern people from the east, bringing gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
No, there wasn't anything about this night that Mary fully understood, and it's certainly not how she wanted it to work. It's not how she had planned it. In spite of everything, though, that night, there was such a love around that manger. There was such a joy, and it was such a world of hope. Even though it's not how they planned, Mary, Joseph, those who gathered at the manger were all able to affirm it's a wonderful life. For the month of December, we've been in a sermon series here at St. Luke's entitled, It's a Wonderful Life. It's based off the theological belief that because a baby is born in Bethlehem, it is a wonderful life, even though life doesn't always go the way you plan, even though things don't work out the way you want, we're able to affirm there is hope, there is still love, there is still joy. It is a wonderful life. We've been looking at the movie each week by that name, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a movie that you know came out in 1946. I'm sure almost all of you have seen it. Ever since we started talking about it, I know many of you have come by and said you've rented it and made sure you watched it on TV. 1946, Jimmy Stewart was playing the lead. Donna Reed was playing his wife. It was directed by Frank Capra. The American Film Institute voted It's a Wonderful Life, the most inspirational movie ever. What a great story. George Bailey. George Bailey, who was living and grew up in this town called Bedford Falls. It's this little town, kind of nowhere. Maybe you grew up in a town like that. George did, and his whole dream was to get out of there. He wanted to leave Bedford Falls behind. He was determined to travel the world, wanted to go to Europe. He wanted to go to school, become an architect, build skyscrapers. Didn't happen. No, in the end, he, he didn't get to go to college like he wanted. No, he took over the family business, the building and loan. His father died. He took it over. He started working there. Instead of building skyscrapers, now he's helping people to have a a roof over a small, their head and by a small home. He never got to travel or go anywhere. He got married, had four kids. 20 years goes by. That was his life. Living in the same drafty old home, driving an old car, making enough money to make ends meet, and that was about it. He felt like a failure. None of those dreams had come true. It was about that time that his Uncle Billy, who worked at the building and loan, well, he lost an $8,000 deposit. In 1946, that's a lot of money. An $8,000 deposit. Now they would not balance. And in the end, the bank examiners were called in. They would see it. They would think he embezzled the money. A warrant would be issued for his arrest. And knowing that all this was happening and he couldn't fix it and looking at his life, and all that he never had been able to do. We had that powerful scene where George is sitting in a bar, and he's all alone. And he says, oh God, if you're listening, please help me. I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of my rope. 
show me the way. And God does. God sends him a guardian angel named Clarence. Clarence hadn't earned his wings yet. He was trying. It was Clarence who granted him a wish. He allowed George to see what the world would have been like had he never been born. Had he never been born, what would the world have been like? And what George begins to see is he really had lived a very special life, blessing so many people, his wife, his kids, family, friends. He begins to see that he really had lived an amazing life, that it had meant something, and how much he loved his wife and his kids and his friend, and how much he loved little Bedford Falls. And you find him on a bridge where he had been thinking of taking his life, and now he is back saying, oh God, I want to live, I want to live. And suddenly it starts to snow. And that's the sign he's back. He runs home. There's the bank examiner. There's the sheriff. He didn't care. He didn't care now. He sees his kids. He's hugging his kids. And suddenly Mary, his wife, comes through the door. She's been out telling everybody George is in trouble. People don't ask a question. They all start bringing money to donate. If George is in trouble and he helped them, they want to help him now. And you see this incredible moment where he's surrounded by family and friends and people are coming together to give and to care. Very moving moment. His brother shows up. He offers a toast. And everyone sings the song, Old Lang Syne. We're all going to be singing that in about seven days. If you're out on New Year's Eve, old Lang Syne. Two weeks ago, we learned what that song really meant. That those words, what they really mean, it's from a Scottish brogue. What it really means is for the sake of all the old times. How you begin the song, it's not a statement, it's a question. Should, should old acquaintance be forgot and never renewed again? The answer to that is no. For all the sake of the old times, the memories, we should come together. It's a powerful ending. But right before they sing that song, do you remember? They sing a Christmas hymn. Do you remember what Christmas hymn they sing right before the end of the show when they're singing Old Lang Syne? It's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, a song that was written by Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The director, Frank Capra, didn't want to use that song. He wanted a different song to be sung at the end of the show. But everybody who was involved felt they needed to have a really good Christmas song, and so they stuck with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Do you know what song he wanted to have at the end of the show? Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. If you were here last Sunday, you know why Frank Kepper wanted to have that as the song they were all singing. It's because Beethoven, who wrote that music, one of the greatest classical musicians in all of history, well, he, he was 20 years old when he went to Vienna, and then his mother died. He had to come back home in order to raise his two younger brothers. And it would be several years before he could finally go back to Vienna. 
He got back to Vienna and he fell in love and got engaged. And then his future father-in-law didn't want his daughter marrying a musician. And so he broke them up and she married someone else and Beethoven would never get married. And then when he was in his late 20s, this musician started losing his hearing. Here you're one of the greatest musicians ever. You start losing your hearing. And by the time he is in his mid-40s, he is stone deaf. And now that he is in his 40s and he is deaf, he decides to write his ninth symphony all in his own mind. And he writes this ninth symphony and the fourth movement, he brings in a choral group to sing and it's called Ode to Joy. And that's the hymn for joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Ode to Joy. Written by a man whose life didn't work out the way he planned. But because of his faith was able to say at the end of his life, there still is a joy. You still know love. You still have hope. That's what the, that was the, the message of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's the message of a baby born in Bethlehem. This isn't how it was planned. This isn't what Mary and Joseph had wanted. But through the grace of God, even though it didn't work the way they wanted, that night they knew love. There was a joy and there was a hope. And I think that's why you and I resonate with the Christmas message year after year. Because so often in our, our lives, it didn't work out like we planned. But it's because of our faith in Christ, we still know love. You still know joy. And you can still have hope. That's what I want us to think about tonight on this Christmas Eve service. And I want to leave you with just two thoughts. First of all, Know that hope comes when you least expect it in ways you don't expect. It's because of a baby born in Bethlehem that you understand there is hope. Did the world think that the Savior was going to come and be born to a carpenter and his wife? Going to be born in a cattle stall. Going to be laid in a manger. The world never would have been looking for the hope of the world there. That's how God works. When you don't expect it, in ways you never dream, it is the good news. There is hope. Don't give in to despair. It's the message of Christmas. Robin Chop tells a wonderful story about her own life and her struggles. It turned out she was 27 years old. She was single. Her younger brother had just gotten married. Her, her older sister had just had a new baby with her husband. And it was then that their mother announced that she had been diagnosed with cancer. The doctors gave her basically a year to live. Her father had passed away several years before. It only made sense that Robin would be the one to move in with her mom to help take care of her in her last days to help her to get to the doctor, to be able to go and see um, how she was doing, to make sure she had her medicines, to go grocery shopping, all those things. And Robin was glad to do it. I mean, my goodness, she had had such a wonderful mom. 
Turned out that her mom was one of those who was at every school function, always there clapping the loudest. Her mom was there whenever she needed a hand of tissue because some boyfriend had broken her heart. She's a great mom. And so Robin was honored and thrilled to be able to move in with her mom and to take care of her. And it was during those days that her mom was saying to her how she was praying every day that Robin would find the right man for her life. That she could have a relationship just like she and Robin's father had had. She prayed for that for her daughter. After a while, they drew near Christmas and her mother passed away. It's always a hard time to lose somebody you love at Christmas. Robin started making all the, res- the, all the uh, plans for the funeral. Her mother was very active in her church. It wasn't a huge church, but she was so well loved. She made all the plans for the service, and finally the day came. The church was packed. There wasn't a seat anywhere. The family came and processed in, and they sat down on the front row, and she looked, and there was her brother holding hands with his wife, and her sister was holding her baby, and her husband had her arm around him. She sat there, and she felt so alone. Her mother was gone. She grieved her mother's death, and in that moment, she felt so alone. She was sitting there with tears streaming down her cheeks, As those people stood up to start the service, several people were giving eulogies about her. And as the first one was going on, suddenly this man comes down the center aisle, comes around and sits on the front row right beside Robin. She thought, how incredibly presumptuous. I mean, yes, it is true, this whole place is packed, but to come sit on the front row with the family? I mean, tears were streaming down his cheeks. He obviously was grieving too. And he sat down beside Robin and he said, I'm so sorry I'm late. No problem. The eulogy went on and then a second eulogy and then a third eulogy. Finally, this young man leaned over and said, why do these people keep calling her Margaret? Her name is Mary. And Robin looked at him and said, no, her name is Mary. Her name is Margaret. I've never heard anybody call her Mary. Well, yes, yes, something's wrong here then because her name is Mary Peters. This is Mary Peters' funeral, isn't it? No, no, it's not. This is the Lutheran church? No, the Lutheran church is across the street. You're at the wrong funeral. Robin said when she stopped and she looked at this man and the shock on his face, this embarrassment on his face, she said it just struck her funny bone. She started laughing. She couldn't help it. She bust out laughing. She didn't want to just come. She put her hand over her mouth to try to hold in the sound, but her shoulders were just shaking. She was laughing so hard. And she knew that everybody behind thought, oh, look at how sad she is. She's sobbing. She was laughing so hard she couldn't contain herself. She laughed through the rest of the service. Finally, when the minister said amen, she was at the center aisle. She was out of there so she could finally let it loose. The young man followed along behind. His name was Rick. He got outside and he was going, I am so sorry. I am so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. She said, it's all right. It's all right. 
He said, well, I did learn a lot about your mother, Margaret. <laughs> he said, I really did love my, my Aunt Mary, but I guess her funeral service is over. Would you like to get a cup of coffee? And so the two of them went out for a cup of coffee. And she talked a lot more about her mother, Margaret, and he talked about his Aunt Mary, and it was so easy talking, and they had so much fun together. A year later, on the same day, they were back in that same church. Not for a funeral, it was for a wedding. And they'd been married for 31 years. And she said, whenever somebody asks, how did the two of you get together? She said, we always tell them, well, it was my mother and his Aunt Mary who got us together. (laughs) It was a match made in heaven. And I believe it was. You never know when or how God will work in your life. On those days of your deepest disappointment. On those times when you're wrestling with the fact that life hasn't gone the way you planned, it hadn't worked out the way you wanted it to, you're able to experience the joy of a birth of a baby in Bethlehem that says you can trust God's grace. There is love still. There is joy still. There is hope. It's the message of Christmas. And secondly, Christmas really is about the expression of God's love. A baby born in Bethlehem, it is love that draws everybody together. Mary and Joseph, they stay together. Shepherds come, the poor, the outcast, good Jews. You have the wise men, the Gentiles, the rich, the powerful. No, you don't miss the scene, the way it happens It's God's love that draws everybody together. And when you feel love, when you know God's love, you just want to turn around and love other people. And I think that's why our country and the world so rallies around Christmas because for a month we all start thinking about this gift of God's love and when you feel that love, you then start thinking about who am I going to give a gift to? Who do I want to sacrifice for? Who do I want to give a present to? And it's a time of giving. And when you and I start giving and sacrificing, it does something to your heart. It does something to your very soul. It opens you up to experience love, joy. Even if life hadn't gone the way you planned, you have a sense of hope as you start to love and give to another. It's what happened in Bethlehem. It's what happened in the movie, A Wonderful Life. You see all these people coming together to give to George. After all these years he had been blessing them, there is this moment when you realize if you have friends, you are rich indeed. It's not about wealth. It's about loving and being loved. And when your heart is open to love, when you know God's love, You are rich indeed. There's a man named Pete Richards. He lived in a small Midwestern town. 
ran a store. It was actually passed down to him by his father and then his grandfather before him. Three generations owning this store. Pete, though, was probably the loneliest man in this small town. He worked hard in the store and he went home alone every night. He was in his late 20s. He worked the store. He tried to be good to his customers. He gave his best. And that year at Christmas, the season was getting started. He was there early, opened the store, and he noticed that there was this young girl that came down the street and was just kind of looking in the window. She was looking in the window, and, and he had lots of wonderful things. I mean, there was silver, and there was crystal, and china, and beautiful jewelry. And this little girl, she, she's kind of wandering back and forth. She must have been nine or ten years old. He said she had beautiful blonde hair and looked golden. She looked for a while, and then finally she kind of straightened up. And with an air of confidence, she walked in the door and walked straight up to the counter and said, I'd like to see the blue beads in the window, please. Absolutely. He walked over to the window and he got out this necklace. It was a beautiful turquoise necklace. Brought it back and laid it on the counter. She felt it. She looked at it. She said, it's perfect. It's exactly, it'll do. That's what I want. I'd like to buy that, please. And who are you giving this to? I'm buying it for my older sister. Our mother died this year. She's been taking care of me since then. I wanted to get her a gift so she wouldn't be so sad. A gift to say thank you for taking care of me. This will be perfect. And how do you intend to pay for it? She was already getting a handkerchief out and opening the handkerchief. She laid it up on the counter and there were all these nickels and dimes and quarters and a few dollar bills. She said, I emptied my bank. It's everything I've got. He looked at the money on the counter and he looked at the price tag on the necklace and thought, how do I tell her? He stood for a moment just looking into these very innocent, deep blue eyes. Finally, he took the necklace and the box and he began to wrap it with red paper and a green bow. What's your name? My name is Jean, Jean Grace. He slid the gift across to her and said, Jean Grace, I want you to do something now. You need to hold on to this package. I want you to take it straight home do not stop and play. Do not go any other places. You take this straight home and put it under the tree. Do you understand? I got it. With a Merry Christmas. And she left. And when she walked out of the store, he felt this piercing in his heart. You see, that necklace was supposed to have been for his fiance, a lady who had beautiful golden hair and deep blue eyes but who several years before, on a rainy night, there was a truck out of control, there was a tree, and the love of his life was gone forever. He had struggled with that grief now for quite some time. And seeing this little girl just brought it all back. He didn't want to deal with that grief, really. He went back to work, throwing himself into it in retail, such a busy time of year. 
The next 10 days, every day you work all day long and you go home so tired and so alone. He finally got to Christmas Eve. He was glad for Christmas Eve. And it came and he took care of the last customer and finally it was over. He headed for the door to try to lock up and here came one more customer. This person came in and she looked familiar, but he really couldn't place, didn't know who she was. She had beautiful golden hair, deep blue eyes. She walked to the counter and she reached into her winter coat and she pulled out this box that had red paper on it and a bow and she set it on the counter. It was the blue beads. She said, did this come from your store? Yes, yes it did. Are these real? Yes, they are. Very fine quality too. Who did you sell them to? I sold them to a a young girl. She must have been nine or ten. Her name was Jean, I believe, Jean Grace. How much do these cost? I'm sorry. The price is strictly confidential between the buyer and the seller. I know how much money she has. How did she pay for these? Pete was taking the box and sticking it back across the counter and said, she paid the highest price anybody can pay. She gave everything that she had. There was a long silence in the store, just looking at one another until finally the woman said, why? Why did you do it? And Pete simply said, it's Christmas Eve. And it is my misfortune that I have no one to give a gift to. Can I walk you home and wish you Merry Christmas? When he stepped out into the night and he locked the door behind him, he thought about the love, that sense of compassion he had had for his little 10-year-old girl. And how that love seemed to be opening his heart to a sense of healing. For that night as he walked under the stars, he began to feel again that there was hope, that there could be joy. You could know love. Life doesn't always go the way we plan. But because a baby is born in Bethlehem, it still is a wonderful life. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.